Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 63, where we interview Jordan Clint. Don't copy my exact story. I don't think I could copy my exact story. Adjust it a little bit. If, if you're not gifted here and you are here, change it. And that's totally fine. And I'm not at all saying that mine is the only path. But get with somebody and have somebody there alongside of you or behind you, kicking you in the butt, whatever you need, and move this along and get the, get the train going. Because once it rolls, the thing rolls. There's no stopping it. It's time for a new American dream, one that doesn't involve working in a cubicle for 40 years, barely scraping by. Whether you're looking to get your financial house in order, invest the money you already have, or discover new paths for wealth creation, you're in the right place. This show is for anyone who has money or wants more. This is the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. How's it going, everybody? I'm Scott Trench. I'm here with my co-host, Miss Mindy Jensen. How are you doing today, Mindy? Scott, I'm doing fantastic. It's a beautiful day. I guess maybe it's snowing, but it is. I always love snow, so it's a beautiful day. Uh, I'm really excited for today's episode because Jordan Clint is our guest today. He contacted me when we back a thousand years ago and we said we were looking for people who would reach financial independence while having kids. And Jordan doesn't just have kids, he has five kids. And conventional wisdom said, well, I guess conventional wisdom around FI isn't really a thing, but Everybody says you can't do this with kids. And Jordan's like, well, okay, I'm just going to do it anyway. So he did. And this is his story. With five of them by age 33. Five. Yes. Not only did he hit FI, he hit FI with five kids and by age 33. So he's not like even 50. Yep. If you're looking for a repeatable down to earth story, uh, someone who just like works at it year after year and achieves it in a pretty timely, but not super flashy manner, this is the show for you, I think. Yes. And you know how he did it? He had a plan. That's right. This is not something that is just going to happen to you. Financial dependence is something that you have to plan for. But like we have said in 62 other episodes, small tweaks now have huge changes, have huge effects on your financial future. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal Do Not Call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com bp. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. 
BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. Jordan Clint, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. So can you walk us through where your journey with money begins? Yeah, I can do that. So it started, uh, I'm from Southwest Michigan. I know Mindy's been there. It's a pretty awesome place right by the Lake Michigan, you know. I was the oldest of six kids. We were all homeschooled growing up. So that's a little bit there of my background. My dad was a, an industrial electrician. So his work was very contract-based. When there was construction, things were good. He worked 13 days, you know, 12-hour days. That's the most you could work. Uh, but he would do that for several years. And then there'd be nothing. And then he'd be you know, off work for the winters and stuff like that. So I, I really learned some of the principles I applied later in my life were just there every single day. It was something we saw. So when times were good, it was peanut butter and jelly and hot dogs. And when times were bad, it was peanut butter and jelly and hot dogs. So it was very <laughs> consistent. That's how it was. Probably looking back on it now, I'd say we were, you know, lower middle class, I guess, growing up. It didn't feel like that because we never, we never saw those ups and downs as the kids. We didn't see that. Um, it was just one of those things that just kind of happened, I guess. Uh, I always knew I wanted to stay in the area. So eventually met my wife and, and we got married when we were, uh, I was 20 and she's a little bit older than me. So I was 20 when we got married. We were both in school. She was studying to be a nurse. I was studying to be an engineer. Uh, we got married, stayed in the area. I guess that's a little bit of the background. So you are financially independent, but you don't have any kids, right? Because you can't do this with kids. Uh, yeah, I, I have uh, I have five kids, so it's not the same as zero. Five is a different number. Yeah, uh, slightly longer, slightly, slightly yeah, larger. Yeah, definitely larger. When we got married, I had this uh, engineering co-op job while I was working through school. So I would do three months of school and then three months of this co-op opportunity. And I remember it was some Sunday night, and uh, I'm like, I don't know if I can even go back tomorrow. And my wife was, we were talking through like, yeah, you're going to go back tomorrow. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll go back tomorrow. I think I can do this for 20 years. And then I need to be, I need to be done with this. So right then I set this 20 year deadline in my head. I'm like, I got to get out of working for the man in 20 years. I had never heard of anybody even doing that at that point, you know, of my life. It was before I was, you know, in with Mr. Money Mustache. I was probably before he was even on the internet and things like that. But it was something I, I was committed and I'm like, I can do this for 20 years if I set a final, a final deadline. I didn't know how I was going to get there. I didn't know what it was going to look like. I mean, I, we didn't have any kids at that point, but 
it was just one of those things I committed to and we were like, we can make this happen. Okay, so let's talk about this. Your schooling for a little bit and then the 20-year mark. How old were you when you said I can only do this for 20 years? I guess I would have been 21, I think, but somehow the 20 years was going to be 42. When I turned 42, I had to be on my own, had my own thing figured out by 42. So it must have been somewhere in that neighborhood. That's when I graduated from school. Was I was 22, so maybe that maybe that's what it was, but it was something like that. But I know 42 was my drop-dead year, so by 42... I had to have this all figured out or I was going to be an internal failure or whatever. <laughs> so no pressure. No um, pressure, okay. yeah. So with your schooling, I, I really like this co-op thing. It, was this through a school or was this? Yeah, yeah. The- um, Kettering University is the school. Uh, it's primarily engineering based. They have a few other degree programs you can do. It is pretty cool. When I went and looked around, I was going to stay in Michigan uh, you know, for my bachelor's. I did uh, two years of community college. So I had an associate's which is a very, very smart way to do it. And I would recommend that to anybody that's looking. Uh, it gives you two more years to make a decision on your, on your schooling. And I mean, community colleges are a tenth of the price of you know, four private institutions or four-year schools. Uh, so I had my associates, then I transferred over to Kettering. And they have uh, this co-op program where it's a requirement to graduate. It's this back and forth between paid internships, essentially, and then school. And then you go back and forth and really, it helps you develop your engineering side. I couldn't imagine graduating and have never been in a facility before and then showing up and, you know, yeah, I'm going to justify this huge paycheck that I'm earning. And I've never, I don't know how to fold a blueprint. I don't know how to find the bathroom. I don't know how to do any of that. I couldn't imagine that. So it, it really was beneficial. And again, if you're interested in that, it's Kettering University, an amazing program. You could, you could do it on your own through other institutions. Uh, I know by us, uh, Western Michigan they have a good engineering program, but everybody has to find their own internships. So if you have those connections, it's worth it. But Kettering was was pretty cool because it's a requirement and they have guidance counselors and things like that to make it happen. So you, you have a very intentional education here that prepares you directly to earn a good living as soon as you graduate. You do it yep. at extraordinarily low cost because of all yep. this stuff. Yep. What is your financial position in terms of income and assets upon graduation? Yeah, so uh, I did take out a little bit of a loan. We borrowed uh, about $20,000 to get both of us through school. So we had uh, a nursing degree and an engineering degree, and that, we were about you know 21000 in the hole from that. I think we could have done it different. It just wasn't a priority to do it with no debt because it was it's available. still really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I was, again, junior college and then bleed over into those. So we graduated, and nursing and engineering are two of the fields like you could find a job in almost any economic climate, you can find those kind of jobs. So we were able to land really good jobs in our area. We didn't have to move anything like that. So again, those are like vanilla, bland, basic. We can get these jobs anywhere. It's not a problem. So what did you do right after that? You but you got those jobs. What what did you kind of, how did you begin approaching your personal finances from the get-go? Yeah, so we were, I guess early on, we hooked up with that Dave Ramsey kind of thinking. So, you know, try to avoid this debt. It was pretty bad. Again, I, I love Dave Ramsey for the, you know, if your net worth is minus up till, you know, 50,000, I think that's really like the bang for the buck area. And if you can set those principles of here's what a budget is, can't spend more than this budget, avoid, you know, monthly payments of any kind, all of these kind of things, those really set you up to really launch your, your spending going off from that. On our personal side, we bought our first house. It was before we were married, actually. I bought my first house. It was a live-in flip that I did. My dad financed it and then I did the work and got it done. And then we split the profits on the back end. 
after we got married, we had lived there two years and then sold that with the, you know, the homeowner's exemption. I am familiar with that plan. Yeah, yeah. I like that plan a lot. So that rolled over. We split, we split those profits that rolled over. You know, my dad got half, I got half that rolled in my down payment on my, you know, our first real house where it was just my wife and I. So was that a, a launching pad for your, your financial position going forward after that? I think what it really did, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's a good thing to have that down payment, you know, on your first place. People take a long time to save up for that. But it really set the principle for us was we can do this. It doesn't matter what it is. We can figure out a way and we can kind of accomplish that. So that's one of the things I think that's worked out well for us is we've never had a roadblock. We just get to it and say, we figured out the last time. We'll figure out this time. What, what can we do to, you know, gradually change this or increase it and we can get through this next step? What was your, you know, you, you said you were following Dave Ramsey and all that kind of stuff. What were some of the things that you think you were maybe doing differently when it comes to your household expenditures relative to maybe some of your, you know, some of the folks you knew that were in a similar position income wise? Yeah, we've never had a car payment. We've never had a new car, but those, those car payments, I just couldn't, I couldn't even figure out how people would try to justify that kind of stuff. That's one of the big things that Dave says, you know, who are you going to put on the payroll? So every time you get one of those monthly payments, that's putting Netflix on the payroll, that's putting GM on the payroll. I don't want them to be my first employee. You know, I'm not going to do that. So that kind of mentality really helped us. I mean, we have a few monthly subscriptions now, but that's one of those things that if you can avoid those things, those, I mean, they just add up over time and that really kills you. So we drove rough cars, you know, $1,000 cars and things like that. But that's one of the things you just learn over time, I can find a good deal on the purchase and I can take care of this, especially with YouTube now. Anybody can replace a wheel bearing, just find somebody on there that's done it before and, and you can really copy that. So it doesn't take much. I mean, I, I think I'm naturally handy and that's what's going to come out of my story. Um, but I don't think that that's a barrier to anybody now. I think you can overcome that through, you know, the use of the internet and a bunch of other, there's other avenues to get over some of those things. And again, my story is just my story. If I was 10 years older, it would probably look a little bit different. And if I was 10 years younger, it would look different. But I'm not saying you can't do any of these things. You can get over all these little hurdles if you just have that, that mentality. Okay, I'm going to jump in here and say that I am also, I don't want to call myself naturally handy because I'm not. I am YouTube-ly handy. You can find out how to do almost anything on YouTube. I think they don't have like self-open heart surgery videos, but everything else you can find on YouTube. So if you don't know how to change out a light switch, you can find a YouTube video that shows you exactly step-by-step. You can find a YouTube video that shows you how to fix anything like specific down to the actual thing, whatever kind of car you have, whatever part you're missing. Like YouTube is amazing. I can't imagine doing this. I mean, I did it before I had YouTube, but I had books. But like, I can't imagine not leaning on YouTube to do this. And you don't have to be naturally handy. You can just watch somebody do it. And it's not that hard. Yeah, I totally agree. That's how we did our first flip. There was a couple of the skilled trades, we'll call them, you know, that, that live in flip that we did where we didn't do them like plumbing. We had somebody else do it just because that seemed complicated. But then after I paid that big bill to the plumber, I'm like, well, that cut into my, you know, back end profit quite a bit. I'm like, I think I can figure this out. So going forward and all the flips, I mean, we do whatever we can legally do. I do want to preface that, you know, but that's one of the things you can figure this stuff out. I mean, there's, there's no obstacle now. That is very interesting that you say whatever you can legally do, because I only do live in flips. So 
yeah. you are legally allowed to work on your own house. You don't have to hire a plumber to do plumbing work in your own house. But that's a good distinction because when you're flipping a house that you're not living in, then you do need to hire somebody. In most cases, the city or the municipality will require that you hire someone licensed. But yeah, when it's your own house, you can learn your own self. And, and a lot of that is based on insurance as well, right? So you may be allowed to do it. They just, just may not be insured and you may be liable <laughs> for the, the the problems that arise in the future. Is that right? Uh, well, when I do it, yeah, I'm reliable. I'm a liable for the problems that happen when I don't do it right. I just do it right. So Jordan, how long were you married before you had kids? We were married uh, three years, I think, before we had our first. And had you graduated college and you had yep, yep. We had real graduated jobs. college. We had gotten our into our first real house. You know, we'd already done that one flip or whatever. But then our first house, you know, where we were on our own kind of thing, we were in there. Uh, that was another, our second house, you know, was our, another flip was another living flip. We added a second story on. So that was, that was pretty awesome. And we did that, you know, we started that with no kids and finished that. We had definitely had some kids by the time we finished that one. So <laughs> wait, it sounds like you didn't just do that in like 12 seconds. How long did that? Uh, no, no. Uh, so that, that two year window, when you do a live and flip, you need the two years sometimes. Cause there's, there's two years worth of work. You know, again, we were at this point, we had when we started that, we both had full-time jobs. So it sucks up some hours, but that's one of the things we always found enjoyable. So date nights were, you know, you go down to Culver's and then you head down to Menards. That's a date night. Uh, we used a lot of those. So our, you know, nights and weekends is what we called it. That's where we found our hours to, to do all these kind of things. And, you know, you really built kind of a side hustle, you know, again, this is before we would have called it a side hustle even, but you built this side hustle on nights and weekends and TV time. We didn't watch any TV. So there you go. It sounds like these first two or three years before you had kids that you're really going all out. You graduate with a very little bit of a low amount of debt. You get good jobs. You're saving mm-hmm. a lot of money. You're driving. You're not, you're not assuming a car payment. You're leveraging your housing position and, and your house to take advantage of the live and flip with all its tax advantages and all that kind of yep. stuff. Get your thing. So what position do you kind of end up with two or three years down the road? If you paid off all the debt and are starting to stockpile a sizable amount of investable liquidity? Yeah. So we were, again, this is kind of where we, you know, we started to diverge a little bit from that classic Ramsey approach. So we never paid off our house all the way. That wasn't something that we did. You know, we liked the lower interest rates and we kind of wanted to just see what was out there and kind of stick around. And then, you know, this is about when the crash would have started right about this point. So it's like, okay, so we're going to keep a little bit of this, you know, liquid as liquid as we can. We're not going to, you know, pay it off into the house and things like that. So that was one of the things that we never quite did. But yes, we were investing a lot into these live and flips at the time, but we were doing pretty well and it was definitely enjoyable. Uh, one of the things that we built was when we had no kids, we were you know, investing all of this time in our day jobs and then into our night and weekend you know, activities. But that really became kind of ingrained into who we were. So once things changed a little bit, we were still the people that were going to, you know, we hustled a little bit. We worked, we worked pretty hard and we enjoy it and that was kind of what we built on. So I think that was probably the number one thing we got out even more than the financial position was we can do this. We've done nights, weekends before we can figure out how to do this. And then as we got, you know, one kid, two kid, three kids kind of built through that, it changes with kids. It's definitely a little bit different, but you can find a way to make it all work still. Once you've already laid that foundation, you know, starting with five kids, it would be different. I'm pretty sure. But I think it's this principle is the same, but again, you have to lay that foundation. So for us, we just added one more brick into that and you just, you just kept going. It wasn't something ever that was a, a big change. Were you saving anything at this time? Did you have any sort of savings and in investing outside of the live-in flip? 
So I've always invested up to the 401k match, you know, or HSA match if, if we were in that kind of uh, insurance system. But only I would only put into the match because I never really, I didn't want to invest the time it took to learn the stock market, I guess. And then just throwing money in there always seemed like gambling if you didn't know what you were doing. So I wasn't going to be putting a ton of more away in there. But again, we would build up. And eventually, as we start buying, you know, we, we buy some rental properties eventually in this story. But we would save up and then we would buy one and save up and buy one and save up and buy one. So that's pretty much how that worked on the back end. That's where we were at. We were definitely probably around 50% of our income was going towards some kind of either investment or, or savings, but not straight into the stock market. That was one thing we didn't, we didn't really do. I'm sorry. What was that percent? 50, did you say 50%? About 50%. Yep. I didn't, I don't have the exact numbers cause that's not how we thought about it at the time, but that, that was probably where it was. Uh, and then as I got raises through my career, uh, I was, very blessed and I, I did well in my field, my wife would step down. So I'd get a, you know, a 10 grand raise, she'd step down 10 grand worth of hours. You know, basically as we were having more kids, she was, each time we had a kid, she wouldn't go back to as much work, wouldn't go back, wouldn't go back. And then eventually was just stay at home mom now. So can, can we walk through that? What did that look like when you had your first kid? So what was your position like at that point? Uh, financially or? Yeah, fin- just financially. Yeah, and then how did strong you- at our first kid uh, yeah. while we had the kid, she was still at the hospital in those like three, you know, three days or whatever before she came home. And I went back home and I installed all the windows in the house because she said <laughs> windows had to be in the house before she was bringing the baby home. So <laughs> there, I'm, I'm putting all the windows in. And then when, you, when you're putting in windows by yourself, that's that's a little complicated. So I missed I missed my partner on that, you know. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, this sounds like my life. But but so you have your your first kid and does your wife step down immediately uh, to a, a lower number of hours? Do you? No, nope, no, immediate. It definitely didn't happen. I don't think with our first kid. So about that time, probably she changed to a relief position at the hospital, which actually pays better. But you have to be more flexible in the department you work in, so you don't always work in the same department. So she was like a floater, I guess. But that helped offset some of that. And then she would do her own scheduling. So. If she wanted four days this week, she could put in for four. And then if she wanted none the next week, that just kind of worked out. That's how the scheduling worked on that. So it worked out pretty well for us. She was on, I guess she was doing evenings at that time. So there was a couple days a week where I had the uh, one kid, I guess. But I was daddy and remodeler and everything at the same time there. <laughs> okay, so what were you doing for childcare while your wife was working and while you're working? We have some people who asked these same questions over again, childcare, healthcare, and that kind of thing. Yeah. So healthcare at this time, when I was full-time, we had, you know, healthcare through my, my place of employment all the way through until I wasn't there anymore, I guess. Childcare wise, we are in the same town as my support structure. My family is there. So it worked out pretty good. Again, she was working second shift for, for most of that time. So, you know, I'd get off of, four, I guess, and she'd head up at two. So there was only a couple hours on days that she worked. There was only a couple hours where we actually needed to sit her. We could leave her at my mom's or my sister's, something like that. And then I could pick her up, have dinner there with whoever was was watching them and then take them home and finish up the project. So again, some of that works well for our situation specifically because we had the support structure. But I think that's one of the things you need to consider. We, we made the commitment at some point is I could make way more money if we went down to Houston or out you know, in the oil fields out in North Dakota or whatever. There's things that were way better opportunities, you know, just on the incoming dollar side, but then it's going to change your expenses on the backside. And you got to consider some of that. So definitely thanks to my mom and my dad. They really helped us out there, but that's how we 
pulled out the sitters. Did that continue through all with all of your kids? Uh, it gets more complicated when you say, I have to drop off five kids for a few <laughs> hours. Yeah. So uh, it definitely changes. But again, as our life changed, we adjust what we were doing on, on the side. So we changed that structure. So we do, we do less flips now, you know, outside of the house. So the living ones aren't as complicated because you do, you know, you're there with the kids and that's, that's something that's easier to pull off. So flips in other outside residences, we do less of that now just because it's a little bit more complicated. But yeah, we still, eventually we started to pay for a sitter because with five kids, that was a big burden, you know, for anybody. So we do have a sitter now. It's a standing date night. She comes, watches the kids, puts them down and it's, it's great. But we just factored that right into our, that's just like a marriage expense, I guess we would call it at this point. So you got to put in the, put in the work that you need on that side to keep everything, you know, pretty strong, pretty healthy. So I have asked this question of a lot of people. I've asked this question like of people in my life and, you know, people on the, on the show and childcare just seems like something you're going to have to plan for. If you don't live by your family, like you said, if you don't live there, then that's just got to be an expense. I had somebody send me an email once. Oh, what about this expense? That's going to be an expense that's, you know, unique to you and you're going to have to factor that in. So what I've discovered over after asking so many people the same question is there's no just magic button for childcare. If you want to have children, you are going to have to factor in some sort of childcare options for them, whether that's you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad, or you have family that can help, or you can't, and you can't be a stay-at-home parent and you can't have family. You have to hire somebody and that's just going to be an expense. I think that's just, there's no magic, you know, oh, just leave them in the trunk. Like you can't do anything that isn't safe. You have to provide care for your child. So that's interesting that you had made, was that a conscious choice to stay by your family or was that just like, you just wanted to be there? So, I mean, it definitely was a conscious choice. We, it's a vacation community. I mean, it's a pretty amazing place. And besides January and February, the rest of the year is pretty awesome. So actually, that's what the, the beach picture behind me, we are in Florida right now. And my mom does have my kids. It was minus 10 degrees when we left and it was 78 when we landed. So that was a pretty big change. So we're, we're a little, little, little good away from my wife's birthday, but you are still able to pull some of that stuff off, you know. But yeah, you just have to decide if it's more important to keep the, you know, the income side of that and keep that elevated. You can do that, but there's trade-offs and we didn't want to do two two incomes the whole time. That wasn't ever part of the plan. We didn't want to have them at you know eight hours of daycare. That wasn't really the plan ever. So we just didn't. I mean, but those aren't. I don't think those are limiting factors. Like you said, it's just a j- different set of inputs into your formula. Well, and you said the word plan. You have a plan for what you want to do, and I think that this is if financial independence is your goal, then you have to make a plan. It's not just going to happen. You can't just be like, oh, whatever. And then all of a sudden you have enough money. You have to make a plan. So two years into this, you start having your your first child. We talked about how you kind of navigated some of the hurdles with childcare, obviously making the intentional choice to not go after the big income, but stay around your family. When did you become intentional about building passive income? Yeah. Yeah. So again, like I said, I set this 20 year goal, had no idea what I was going to do. Didn't really ever even 
I hadn't heard of somebody that had been able to pull that off. I mean, I guess there's the people that win the lottery and sell your tech startup and stuff like that. But I wasn't in tech and I don't play the lottery. So neither of those were going to work out pretty well for me. So one of the things we we started to look around was, okay, what are we going to do next after we finished, you know, our second, our second live-in flip, which we actually held on to for a while. So we didn't sell that one right away. We did put that second story on, but it took us a long time to decide to actually to move from that place. But uh, we started looking around. This was right about probably the bottom of the recession. So we're up to like 2008 now. I think we had three kids at that point. And things were, I guess, no, we only had two kids still. So yeah, so bottom of the recession. And we started to look around and was like, some of this real estate that was pretty expensive a little bit ago is starting to look cheaper. It's definitely on sale, you know. So we started looking there in the fall of 08 and then picked up our first place in in 09. And uh, that's where we went from there. So going into that purchase, how much did you stockpile? How did you come up with the liquidity to purchase that that deal? So, well, the very first deal, we had some cash, obviously. Uh, and then we did have a ton of equity in that house that we were living in. So the first one we actually rolled was, you know, just a line of credit on our personal residence. We were able to pull off that first property. And that's because you added lots of value to it in spite of the, the market went down, but you'd added so much value to it through sweat equity that you're yep. still able to pull out a big chunk through. Yeah, uh, the market probably went down almost almost 50% probably in our area. Again, we're a vacation community, so it things are really different. I'm sure there's some people out there that are familiar with that, but you know, the high ends are are crazy high and the low end is still pretty high because everything kind of gets compressed in the middle there. Mm-hmm. So the mid-range houses got hurt pretty bad. But yeah, no, we had a ton of equity in there because we had done we had done so much in the previous point. And I was we were in a position where even if the thing sat empty for, you know, the whole year, it wasn't going to affect too much. So we're very conservative in that. We have a conservative, you know, debt to value. We don't want to get aggressive in anything like that. So our story probably went a lot slower. I know we sometimes I listen to these people on here and I'm like, holy moly, they did it so much faster than I, I ever could even think about doing it. But we weren't going to ever put ourselves in a position where it was going to be a, a stressful situation if we had some vacancy or if we had some kind of major problem or whatever. Everything went a lot slower than it could have gone. But again, that's what we were comfortable with. We weren't looking to get rich quick. That wasn't one of the things we were even thinking about. Again, I had this 20-year deadline. So when you got, well, now it's down to 15 years and, you know, whatever, you know, and it's <laughs> but it's getting shorter and shorter, but you still have a long runway on something like that. So we didn't have to get aggressive. Well, let's go into this first deal. So you, you take a line of credit, you buy this first deal. How much passive income does it, does it produce? This is your first cash flowing investment. Yeah, yeah. Again, we didn't quite know the formulas. We didn't quite know that there was probably an easier way to predict some of this. I knew the construction side of it enough and I'm looking for solid houses. So I avoid weird additions, things like that. To me, that's going to affect the long-term, you know, maintenance on something like that. Cause you don't know what kind of Yahoo, you know, turned a screened in porch into a bedroom. You don't know what's really going to be there. So those are the things I kind of avoid. I avoid, you know, slabs. We do have a few slabs up in Michigan, but I don't, you know, I, cause again, it's just one of those things like, I'm not really interested in in something weird. I do love roof problems. So houses that have water pouring in, that's a good value to me. I can fix all that. But you got to find your little niche there. So this was a house. It was a foreclosure. It had some roof issues. I'm like, I can fix these pretty quick. Again, I didn't know about the, you know, the 1% or anything like that. I didn't really know that. But I knew a year and a half earlier, this thing would have sold for over 100. And now it's, we, we picked it up for 59, I think, or 60, something like that. So what, once you fixed it up, how long did it take you to fix up and what were you renting it for? 
we put somebody in it. I mean, basically immediately the beginning rent again, we didn't know, but I'm like, if we rent it for six fifty, I know we can make some money on this. I didn't know even how to look and see what other stuff was renting for. Again, this is our first shot at this. So I'm like, let's try six fifty Cause it's going to more than pay, you know, this line of credit that we have. And it's going to, you know, we knew what the insurance was. We knew what the taxes were going to be. So I'm like, I think we'll be okay there. 650 was way too low, you know, for the market. So we had it filled up in a matter of no time and some great guys. Uh, but that became one of our principles going forward was probably every time we list a place, we could get a little bit more money, but that wasn't always the point. We wanted to get a little bit better tenant is what we were looking at. So if we leave 50 bucks on the table, that wasn't going to be the end of the world to have a better tenant. I love it. I think a lot of investors come at it with the complete opposite approach. Yeah. They're like, how do I get the most rent, but deal with the least amount of repair problems? You know, yeah. like, give me, give me the structure with the repair problems that are up my alley. And then uh, I just want a good tenant that won't give me any trouble and I'll, I'll, I'll sacrifice the rent on that. Yeah. But that's one of the things I, I don't want to, I don't want to put down anybody else's perspective on this. So if you have an Avenue or you think that you have something else, then you should exploit that. But again, I knew what mine was. I'm an engineer. I don't really want to interact with 40 tenants. That's not really up my alley, but I can fix a roof problem. So give me a roof problem. Let me have better tenants, make a little bit less money and I'm going to be okay with that. So I think what would be awesome to hear next is how did this kind of progress right up until the point where you actually discovered the concept of financial independence and began going down that, that rabbit hole? Like what was the journey up, like up until that point Yeah, from here? Um, so probably up, you know, all through this point, and we're going to get to it later, but I was probably thinking, oh, a construction company. If I open a construction company that way, I wouldn't be working for the man anymore. And I can have that rolling. And then I can, you know, phase out of my W2 employment and into the more of this self-employment thing. So for the first at least 10 years, that's what I would have been thinking is something more along that line. Like I could find, I'll do the work that I want to do. I'll be honest. I'll call people back because if you can call people back, you'll have a business. And that's, that's all I really need to do. So that's probably where I was thinking that I was going to go. Had not thought at all about passive income being the, the key there. Definitely, you learn that over time as you're more involved in this and less involved in that. And you start figuring out, hey, maybe this is a, a better path. So that's probably where you're at. After that first rental property, did you acquire more rentals? Did you invest your money somewhere else? Did you stockpile cash? What did, that, what did that look like? Yeah. So we got the first rental and I'm like, well, this one worked out great. Had a great tenant. Then we're like, hey, we'll just look for the next one. You know. So then the next one was a short sale, which I had never done a short sale. Didn't know what a short sale was going to be. So we put in our offer and it was like six months the bank sat on it. And we're like, okay, that's probably not going to happen. So we didn't worry about that one. So then I went, hey, there's going to be an auction like right down the street from my first rental property. I'll go over to this auction, take a look over here. So I show up at the auction. There's only two bidders at the auction. And one is a couple that I really respect and were one of the people that I always kind of thought, hey, maybe they're doing this thing. I'd never actually spoke to him about it, but I'm like, you know, the millionaire next door kind of thing. They, they didn't look like it, but I always had this suspicion. I'm like, they got something going on there. So they were there at the auction. And then my tenant in my first property was there. So those are the only people that were there. The older couple said, okay, we're not going to do this. And then I'm like, I can beat out my own tenant for a house. This is going to be, <laughs> so I beat him out. And then, you know, I got my second one there. And then the short sale called up and they wanted to close. So we closed on the same day on our rental house, number two and three, we closed the same day, which was kind of stressful. And again, not probably how you would have planned it, but that's definitely how that went. And then my good tenant, he did eventually find his own place and he moved out. So 
you kind of find out he's looking when he shows up at the auction with you, you know? Well, so you have, you have these three properties now. Do you, I assume you fix them up or yep, you do, yep. do get a tenant right in there going from there. But basically I want to, I want to know what, how does that portfolio keep building over time until you kind it of. It built exactly like this. It was slow and it was boring and there's, there's nothing just amazing to say about the whole story. So we basically, we added two, pretty much two doors a year. That's kind of how we were looking. That's about what we could, you know, cash flow on our own side. We, Occasionally would pay for them straight in cash. And sometimes we would, we would have enough saved up, you know, to pull it off and pay for it or use the, you know, use the home equity. So we would pay off the home equities and then fill them back up and pay them off and fill them back up. Mm -hmm. Um, Before the banking rules changed, I was able to get uh, a home equity on one of my investment properties, which was pretty awesome. I know they've adjusted the rules like four or five times since then, but we had that one for a long time. So that's how we kind of used it. So we just went up and down, up and down and, added a couple here and there, only looking for the stuff. I was very selective. I wasn't going to stretch it. I wasn't going to buy something that wasn't a good fit for us. I wasn't going to buy something far away. Every house we own is within five miles of our house, probably something like that. Wasn't interested in something else. There's a couple markets that are a little bit further away that you can do better. Your numbers will look better, but we just were like, we're not going to touch those. Those are out of our scope. So we really limited it down. And that way you knew when you're going to find those two houses a year, because there's only going to be like four houses that fit your criteria and you're not going to win all four of them. So you're going to win a couple of them. You know, that's kind of how we looked at it. I mean, I love it. What you're talking about is so repeatable, right? Have a strong savings rate, right? You have low expenses in your housing, transportation. And I presume you're living responsibly everywhere else. So you're stockpiling a lot of cash. You're buying solid singles one after another that are, you're extremely comfortable with, that are really mm-hmm. convenient for you at every aspect. And you're just doing it slow and steady over a period of years. Where do, where do you end up? What's next? I had a couple different jobs. My W-2 jobs changed a couple times. I wasn't really in tune with the, you know, what my, my goal was yet. I still had this 42, you know, age 42 number sitting out there that I was thinking about every once in a while. And, you know, I would adjust my 10-year goals and my five-year goals and everything to make sure that they were somehow on track for this. But again, I didn't really know how I was going to get there. Eventually, I was at a job and I got this great promotion and I was super stoked about this promotion. And within three months, they promoted somebody else like from below me to above me. And then it pushed me down and it got all messy. And I was not thrilled about this. And I'm like, well, this was kind of a good thing. And I was really excited about it. What am I going to do now that I have this boss that I didn't want to have? You know, I would never have signed up to come and work for this, this position. So it just kind of happened. And I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to knuckle down. So that's really when we figured out, hey, we're going to get this this whole thing up and going. We're going to make sure we've hit our numbers. We're going to make sure we get the right number of houses. We get them paid off. And we're going to be able to pull this off because I love my employers that I had. But when it comes time to it, your W-2 employer is going to let you go. If it's good for them, it's what they have to do. I mean, there's no other way to look at it. So that stable income that you get every, you know, every other week or every month or whatever you're getting paid that's not really that stable because you don't have control over the back end. So they lose a contract. They have to let some people go. And you know, one of those days it's going to be you. So I, I did survive a few layoffs, but you see that when you see that happen, you're like, how did I survive this layoff? And he didn't survive this layoff. And that was just kind of, you know, just how it went. So you learn ways to stay employed. And then you learn like, this is not that stable of a paycheck, honestly. So it sounds like it sounds to me like this line of thinking became you know more concerning to you because the position at work changed for the worse. 
So you, you were liking it. So you weren't really as it wasn't as central to mind that the paycheck could evaporate. But then as soon as this boss, this new boss came in place and you weren't liking your position as much, the risks became magnified. You're like, not only do I not like this, but it's also risky. And I'm, and, I, and so this thing, kind of things come to light. Is that, is that fair to say? It was definitely like it put that sense of urgency. It really kind of kicked me in the pants. And that would have been 2013, I think, 2012 or 2013, somewhere right around there. And I'm like, we're going to step on this now. Again, step on it again. I'm pretty slow, pretty conservative. So it wasn't like that next year we had it all rolling or anything like that. But we really ramped it up. So we started to do some stuff that, you know, we doubled up on a few things. We made sure we had some flips going outside and personal flips. We moved. We moved back. What, what was your position like at that point? How many properties did you have? And what was your passive position at that, at that point where you, when you kind of had this motivation? Yeah, so that we would have had probably six properties or seven properties, something like that. We had a couple loans. The rest of them would have been paid off. We weren't up to the point, like they wouldn't have paid for our lifestyle at that point. But we were very conscious, like, hey, we're going to really double down and commit to this. So we had a pretty level, you know, we hadn't bumped our lifestyle that much, but we did cut some things out then. I'm like, we're going to cut back. We're going to save a little bit. We're going to scrimp. We're going to try to lower our spending side. Quicker you lower that spending side, the quicker you're going to get to it on the passive income side. So that was one of the things we really, we really hit it pretty well there. What were some of those changes on the spending side? Um, So we dropped eating out, like it just went away. We cut back on a few other things like that. Uh, We didn't, we didn't do a ton of vacations before, but we dropped all the vacations, you know, things like that. Uh, most of the time, like a vacation day for me was we would take it off to work on a big project. So some of the jobs, you, you know, you get a roof or whatever, you can't always pull a roof off in a weekend. So you take a Friday off and a Monday off from your day job, you can get a roof done in a four-day weekend. You can make that happen. So that was one of the things we looked at. We started to pick up some work, like just actual contractor work. I, I have my builder's license. So... I'm approved in Michigan to do some of that stuff. We picked up some side work and did that too. My wife helped out a ton. She enjoys that. And again, we had built our lifestyle where we were we were able to stay on on our feet and keep going for lots of hours every day and, and weekends and things like that. But she was she was supportive of me and she wanted to make sure that we were in a position where we were going to be stable. And again, I, I love my employers. That wasn't the thing. It was just, you realize at some point you're like, if it comes down to it, they're going to let you go and then you're going to be back on the street and you're looking for a new job and, and nobody wants to do that, especially an engineer. We hate looking for new jobs, man. <laughs> we know you've heard it before. Cash flow is getting very hard to find. There's always long distance investing, but you may be thinking, I don't have a team, enough experience or the market knowledge to get in. That's where you're wrong. And it's also where rent to retirement comes in. Rent to retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest out of state with confidence. They've got single family, multifamily, new build and syndication opportunities across multiple markets. They even have bird deals with immediate equity. Rent to retirement helps investors learn how to build a bulletproof business plan with the best investment and tax strategies around to help you reach financial freedom through real estate. There's no excuse not to get started in real estate investing when you have the right team and systems already in place. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Listen up, business owners. Here's some quick math. Fewer costs equals more profit. The problem? 
You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Don't let rising costs sink your business's growth. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash bpmoney. That's netsuite.com slash bpmoney. netsuite.com slash bpmoney. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So what sort of passive income were your properties generating at this time? So in, in 2013, we were probably doing, I mean, each house does, you can do a couple hundred bucks probably, was probably stable. So we were up in the 1400 bucks a month, maybe something like that, I guess. Okay. So that's not replacing... Definitely not at that point. Okay. But that's why we had to step on it. And we knew we had to step on it. So what did your what were your lifestyle expenses before and after your, you know, kicking the pants there? Yeah. We probably were able to cut probably six hundred bucks a month out of our expense side and not not change our, our back end of our lifestyle a whole lot. But again, we were we're very aware of our spending and we're very in tune, you know, as a marriage. We're we're on the same page. So some of those decisions are a lot easier for us. But again, we ramped up some of the side income stuff and then really committed that we were going to get some more doors basically and make that happen. Did a couple more flips 
then it really, it really started to roll. I mean, again, there's a great time. If you're going to pick a time in history to really start doing this stuff, start in 2009 and then ramp it up in 2013. It's a great time to do this. Stuff. So again, I'm, I'm definitely blessed by the situation that, that we were in. So let's fast forward to the next milestone right, that you perceive in that. Yeah. In the yeah. So, uh, that would have been November. We do, uh, we go down to my uncle's for Thanksgiving. So I love going down there and he has a different outlook on life and a different take on things. And that's one of the things. So we sit there and we talk and we go over some stuff and we realized probably in November of 15 that we had gotten to a number. It wasn't the number that I originally thought, but if we scaled back our lifestyle just a little bit, we would be stable. So I was within, I was within spitting distance of that FI position. And we're like, okay, if we just build up the courage here over the next little bit, and get a little bit more passive income coming in, we'll be in a position where we can back back this down all the way. But it took me all the way from November of 15, all the way till August of 16 to actually step up and commit to that position. So again, I'm, I'm slow, I'm a little nervous and jittery. So it, it took me a little bit of time. That's not that long, but let's, let's walk through that. Let's walk through that, uh, that, that 10 month period. Yeah, so August of 16, we were definitely in a spot I wasn't sure how my W-2 employer was going to take it when I came in and said, I'm going to retire. <laughs> They're not prepared. I would have been, how old would I have been in? That would have been um, 33, 30, 34, 33, 34, something like that. So eight, seven, eight years ahead of schedule. Yeah. <laughs> but again, we, you know, we, we had really pushed down on the spending side. That was one of the things I want to make sure people understand, like, if you can commit, it's so much easier to cut a dollar of spending than increase a dollar of, of income coming in. I mean, I, I can't express that enough. Yep. Thank Wave you. your hands and clap, whatever you need to do. But that is, that is a point. So if you're at 4000 a month spending, and if you can get that to 3000 that changes your 4% rule. It changes any kind of passive income. I mean, those are just huge numbers. And think about what you're going to gain if you can give up you know, eight hours a day of sitting at a desk or whatever you're doing. I mean, think about that. So we were at the position in August of, of 16, where worst case, if I had to do a little bit of outside work, I, I could pay the bills. So I went in that time with my boss and, and explained this. And you could just see the like, what? So I'm, <laughs> I'm, obviously, I'm obviously a little bit different. You know, I got the big red beard and everything. So people don't always know how to take you in a position like this. And again, as you're getting, you're getting up into the FU money numbers. So you have a whole different outlook on life and it changes how you perform at your job. That's one of the big things. Like I can do what needs to be done and I don't have to worry about somebody having a problem with me because I have a problem with me. I'm going to do what's right for the company every single time. That's not an issue. You can't really touch me. So that's one of the things I think is a it's really good for the employer in the, in the back end, but it makes for some weird conversations because they're not used to, you know, losing that leverage all the time. So you come in and say, Hey, I'm going to make a change here. If you want to work something out, we can work something else out. Otherwise, if it's all or nothing, I'm going to take the nothing instead of the all. So <laughs> that's where we were. Uh, they were very, very gracious and decided that some of me was better than none of me. So we did work out a, a part-time position going forward. My role did change a little bit, but I was still able to help them part-time, which again, that cushions the, you know, if, they have a, if it's a plane coming down to land or whatever, you got a nice soft runway then. And, and that's what you wanted, right? That was the best possible outcome for you? It probably was the best possible outcome. I went into that meeting 100% 
uncertain of the outcome. Like I had no idea if they were going to rip away my key card and throw me out of the door that day, or if they were going to work out some kind of part-time deal. I, I was not at all sure. Probably, probably should have been more confident that they would have worked something out. But again, I was uncertain. And that's why I had waited so long because it's just a little scary to go in and tell them if I had to do it again today, I would probably be just as scared. I mean, that's not something, and I, I know if you're, if you're in that position, take a shot at it and do it, but realize that if you're a solid employee, they're going to want you to stay around. And I know we hear stories about this happening all the time where people are able to work out remote gigs or part-time gigs, you know, as a way to kind of cushion, you know, and do a gradual step down. So it definitely worked out for me and it can work out for you. So with this, when you went into this, right, you know, one of the big, I think, concerns that a lot of people have when they're about to do this is healthcare, right? Yeah. So I got all the numbers in place, but like that's an expense that now all of a sudden comes in place. Were you prepared to handle healthcare expense if they had cut you off? Uh, yeah, I started preparing that day that they gave me the new boss that I wasn't super thrilled about. I'm like, I'm going to make sure this is all ready to go in case this gets really bad. <laughs> I know I got to have something lined up that day. Even though, you know, you have five I, kids. Yeah. Even though my passive income wasn't going to be there, you know, back in 2013, I'm like, I got to be ready for this. So mm-hmm. yeah, we are on one of those meta shares type deal. Uh, Is that, that's what it's called, right? Yeah. The medical health yeah. share. Yep. So it does qualify for Obamacare insurance, but it's not insurance. So don't get them confused. It is like a interagency donation program kind of thing um, where essentially we're just helping each other out. It's what it is. So it's a little bit different and you got to get used to that. But every insurance plan now is a little bit different than they were even two years ago. So there's some getting used to for even, you know, regular conventional W-2 insurance. Price-wise, we pay less than we paid in my other job. So it actually, you know, even though that I don't have anybody else contributing. My personal payment is less every month than my payment was before. So it definitely works out good. Ours does have a religious component. Well, we had talked about that before, but uh, it works out well for us because we are appropriately religious. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and I think Philip Taylor from episode 38 went into the health share plans a little bit as well. They can be a really great option when health insurance is so expensive. Uh, you still have a job though, right? You're still, I still, I still work at that same employer. Yep. Uh, I'm still part-time there. My wife says I like it too much to quit. I don't know if that's true. I'm not sure, but I'm still there. I really enjoy helping people out and my actual skill set lines up really well with what they need. So it works really well. And I don't have a lot of reason to change it at this point. So if you want to say semi FI, I'm fine with that. If semi retired, I'm fine with that. I don't really need the definition. That's not going to change it. Uh, pretty happy with, with my current position. And as long as it stays something that we both can be happy, it's going to stay. I don't see any reason to really speed it up and change it. How many days a week were you working? You're obviously full-time before. And then how did that yep. change after, after this conversation? And what's it like now? Yeah. So it took a little bit of time to actually change my role. So I was, I was engineering manager at the time. I had a bunch of reports and things like that. So we gradually phased out some of that. Uh, I went into more of a project-based position and still engineering projects, uh, a lot of cost savings and improvement ideas, things like that. And I also picked up some software stuff that wasn't in my background before. I'm not a software engineer. So I did pick up some of that just because the role was available. So now that's one of the things I do with quite a bit of my time. It went down as soon as we got the transition. It went down to three days a week. So I work three days 
uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So my Wednesday is my Wednesday, Friday, which if you want to know a way to make your other employees smirk and hate you, call it Wednesday, Friday, every single week. And then you leave and you don't show up till Monday and they work <laughs> Thursday and they work Friday and then text them on Thursday and Friday a bunch of times that you're off and you're home and you're doing your other stuff. So, so that's a good way to motivate other employees, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so my Wednesday, Friday, that's my thing. The big that's- thing is Wednesday, Friday. That's awesome. And, and you still work at three days a week now? Sorry. I, I, yep. Yep. Still, still three days a week. Again, it's not, it's, it's pretty flexible. I do work from home some and I, I kind of come and go when I need to. So it doesn't really get in the way. And when you have time off like that, I don't need to take, I do still have some vacation time. You know, it's a little different in this position, but you don't have to take days off to go get doctor's appointments and things like that. So you don't have to worry about a lot of those kind of things because I do have open days every week already. So it really kind of works out pretty well. So awesome. what has changed about your lifestyle then? Do you go on a lot more trips, travel, you know, what, what's, what are some of the, um, so again, one of the, one of the things that was important to us obviously is our, our family and our kids. So we homeschool our kids as well. Well, uh, the ones that are old enough, I guess. We have a 12, 10, 8, and then two four-year-olds. So the, the four-year-olds are young still. But So I, I help out on Thursday and Friday. I guess I'm part stay-at-home dad. But then we push a lot of our project work on some of the rentals or any of the flips that we're doing. We do push that to uh, the Thursdays and Fridays as best we can. You know, there's still the emergency calls. But I'll, I'll do that. I went back to school. I've started my to get my doctorate. So I work on that some. But pretty much, I mean, I think that's what retired life is supposed to look like. So. I'm doing doing whatever a 35 year old semi retired guy would do. <laughs> That's awesome. So, as far as finances go, do you do you have plans to continue building the portfolio, or is that are you kind of done? Yeah, no. Uh, again, I'm going to build it the same way. We're going to go slow. We're going to be appropriately cautious. We're going to let it grow a little bit. We've switched over. We've done a lot of things in our community to kind of change that. So I feel like I've. I don't know if made it is the right word, but I've gotten to the point now and I want to help other people and I want to, I want to give back a little bit. So we've done some land contracts with some people where we've given them pretty good deals and, and made that happen where they might not have been, they're not financeable at a regular bank. So we've helped some people out like that. And I really, I mean, I like it. It's kind of fun. And then uh, we've done like that. We've looked at uh, a few other different kinds of projects because you can open up your your horizon opens up a little bit when you get that flexibility so we've looked at some weird stuff and haven't always decided if we wanted to do weird stuff yet and then uh we do have an offer accepted on an apartment so that'll be our first multi-family at all so that's that's there so we're going to try that out baby steps again it's a it's a five unit with a standalone single family so it's six doors together but uh, we don't have anything like that so it'll be a little bit different and it needs a ton of work but I think we know how to make that happen. So again, go slow, go steady, and then uh, we'll just keep going. I don't know where it takes me in the next, you know, the next five years, 10 years. I'm not really sure. There's nothing pressing at this point. There's no need to change it up a ton. I did some construction work this summer outside and found some stuff that I liked and some stuff that I didn't, didn't like as much. So I think there's a guy I've been working with and maybe next summer we'll do a little bit of that. Maybe we won't. But uh, it's one of those things you don't do it in the winter, you know, that's no fun. So we don't do that in the winter. <laughs> I love it. I mean, you've won and you're just like, great, I'm going to enjoy it and figure it out as a... As a I definitely don't want to say we've won. That doesn't, that doesn't sound right. I don't want to say we've won. We've done <laughs> you really won! Well. 
Yeah. Well, you have won. Right, I will right. say it. You have yeah. won. You don't have to work anymore. You get to work at a job you love. You choose what you want to do. You don't do what you don't want to do. There are people who have to be doing all that stuff in the wintertime because they have no choice. You won because now you can choose to not do that stuff when you don't want to do it. Yeah, I will I say mean, it. The Lord has blessed us a lot. So. <laughs> and, and you say you did it slow, but you, you know, most people don't have five kids while they're doing this and don't do it at 33. So, you know, that's, that's two. Slow. Yeah. yeah. I too and my live-in flip was really, really difficult. Yeah, we we did just we bought a farm. We did move, bought this farm, needs a ton of work. It's a hundred and something years old, which is pretty old for Michigan. So it is cool. And we're trying to claim it back from the wilderness. You know, the wilderness takes over so quick. So uh, that's a new little new little treat. We don't have any animals yet. We don't have it cleared up like to that point, but I know the kids are kind of interested in doing some of that stuff, and that's something we'll play out. I don't think I'm gonna get like a uh, combine and do all that type of farming or anything like that, but it's, it's Just wait. pretty cool. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> My friend, Mr. Frugalwoods, has this awesome tractor and maybe not a combine. What's a combine? Is that the one that picks the That's corn? That's the one that harvests like corn, the giant. Yeah, okay, corn. no, you don't need that, but yeah. you definitely need a tractor. If you have a farm, you need a tractor. I got, I got a backhoe. As soon as I bought the farm, I went out and got a backhoe. I'm like, I'm going to get a backhoe because everybody wants a backhoe. I want a backhoe. No, you can just smash so much stuff. It's so fun. So yeah, I had to go out and get the backhoe. That was the first big purchase. I did not take it on payments. That was a cash purchase. Don't buy a backhoe on payments. Just, <laughs> you can't buy it in cash. Don't buy it. That's how, That's going to be the quote that we'll use to market the show. <laughs> um. Yeah, so that's the fun stuff. Yeah, again, I'm super excited to see what it goes from here. One of the things that I've really tried to work on now is is talking to other people and trying to figure out how do you actually change somebody and get them the perspective they need? So nobody came to me and said, hey, you could do this. So between 18 and 24, I could have used somebody to come and say what this was and tell me what it was. But there, I didn't have anybody, nobody, or maybe they did and I just was too dumb to hear it. I don't know. But there was nobody... Again, that stuff. I was going to say, did you listen? Would you have listened? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But now I'm here and I'm like, hey, you can do this. We got to figure out like what it, what it's actually making it take. So one of the things I try to do a lot of work, you know, with my, my W-2 employment there where I talk with other people. So people love to complain and they love to tell you how much they hate their job. And I do not like listening to people tell me how much they hate their job. Cause you can change some of that stuff. Like there's tons of stuff. So I had one guy come up to me and say, I hate this thing or whatever. And my daughter was, she was probably 11 at the time or whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, what are you going to do where in 10 years, when my daughter comes to work here, she's not your supervisor. And he's like, what do you mean? Your daughter is like younger than me. I'm like, yeah, but if she's on a path, she's going to be your boss in 10 years and you're going to be doing the same job and you're going to say, I hate this job. And you're going to tell her you hate this job. And I don't want that for her. and I don't want that for you. So what can we do to next year where you have a different either outlook on your position or you have a different position? These are all things that can change. Well, I don't have a degree in this. Like you don't need a degree in social work to help people. Don't tell me that. You can help people. There's so many ways to help people. You can have your current job and on the side, you can help people. You don't even need to change positions. So like when people tell me these things, that's one of the big things that I try to work through is what can I do to help them see that they have this barrier in front of them and they're using this as an immediate roadblock. I have, I have five kids. I can't do it. No, you can do it. It's just going to look a little different. I don't have a degree. I can't do it. 
no, you don't have a degree. So it's going to look a little different, but we can, we can get over this. And that's one of the things like, I want to be the one there that says, Hey, you can do this. This is really doable. That's perfect. I can't add to anything on that. This is doable. You can do this. In the beginning, you said that your story isn't, what did you say? It wasn't exciting or it wasn't like. There's nothing flashy. Yeah, there's like. Yeah, there's nothing flashy. But you know what? That means that it's repeatable. Scott and I talk about this over and over again. These stories that, oh, first I was born into wealth and then I won the lottery. And that's not repeatable. Hey, I bought a property that I could afford and I put a tenant in there who was really awesome. And then I bought another property that I could afford. And then I put a tenant in that one who was really awesome. And that's the story that other people can do too. You can do this. Anybody can do this. You just have to make the plan to do it and then follow through. You can't just sit there. Oh, I wish I was. Well, what is the saying? You can wish in one hand and blank in the other and see which one gets filled up first. Yep. So yeah. Well, if you do wish, then Jordan's daughter will be your supervisor in 10 years and you will be <laughs> complaining about it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to make sure she gets on that track where she can, she can come in and actually pull that off on something. <laughs> but that was just, it was just, it's more just, you just have to have these conversation points where you can get somebody awake and alert to what you're actually talking about. Cause most of the time people hear the words that you say and they make a sentence but that sentence doesn't mean anything to them. It just goes right in. And I'm like, how can I say this stuff where it's not just a sentence full of words that don't mean anything and actually try to make the difference and really to try to help some, somebody out? I mean, this isn't, again, don't copy my exact story. I don't think I could copy my exact story. Adjust it a little bit. If, if you're not gifted here and you are here, change it. And that's totally fine. And I'm not at all saying that mine is the only path. But Get with somebody and have somebody there alongside of you or behind you, kicking you in the butt, whatever you need, and move this along and get the get the train going. Because once it rolls, the thing rolls. There's no stopping it. And it's that the book, Newton's first law, right? An object in motion tends to stay in motion. An object at rest stays at rest. So if you're at rest and you're dissatisfied in your job, you are going to be a, in that job and you're going to be or a different position at a different company in 10 years. You're not going to change that. But if you get this ball rolling, you can make a little incremental improvement and you can be somewhere different. And once it really starts rolling, you can't even stop it. You just watch it. It's almost like it's doing it on its own. After you get, you got to push it a little bit, but then it starts going and yeah, that is Newton's first law. There you go. That is perfect. I didn't know it was his first law. I didn't study that. In college, I studied fashion design. We don't talk about Newton there. Okay, Jordan, is there anything else that you want to share with us before we move on to the famous four? I want to make sure that my kids get a perspective of money that's very similar to what I have. But I can't replicate what my parents did for me because my situation is different. Just like my situation is different than your situation and my parents was different than your parents. I, I understand that. But I want to make sure that they're picking up some of those highlights. And again, I'm not at all saying I'm doing this right, but I'm trying and I'm going to make some mistakes and make adjustments. I got five kids, so there's a chance that I'll get one of them to work, to work out just right. But uh, <laughs> I want to make sure. So again, being, I don't know, well off or arrived or whatever you want to say, we can afford a lot of stuff. But stuff isn't the thing that's going to make you happy. And I want my kids to realize that. That's one of the things I really try to press on them. So you could stand in the line at the store and there's, we could buy every single Lego, whatever. We could clean out the shelf at Walmart. 
that's really just going to be Legos to step on. You know, it's not going to actually change it. It's not going to make you happy. And it's probably not a good use of money. And they don't have a passive income stream and they don't have an active income stream where they're going to generate that kind of that kind of money. So one of the things I want to make sure that they pick up is what are these underlying principles? Yes, my background's a little different than my folks was, but how can I get this same attitude towards life to pass through? So we are, uh, growing up, we didn't talk about the actual dollars and cents that much. Like I didn't know what my dad made. I didn't know what a mortgage cost. My folks paid off their house and I didn't even know it. Like it didn't even come up in conversation. Maybe they said it, but it wasn't, you know, they had those like D you know, mortgage burning parties and things like that now or whatever. But like, I didn't even know that they did that. So that's one of the things I try to be way more upfront with those details and be like, like, this is what it costs. This is what a tenant pays every single month. And this is what it costs us to have that, that asset sitting there, you know, and you can see there's a little difference there, but I want them to start picking up on the stuff that I just go through daily. And, uh, as a responsible grown up, I guess you don't even think about all of the things that come in and out. So they understand like bills aren't just mail. Bills are different than just mail. Do you want a lot of bills or do you want a, a little pile of bills? You know, so that's some of the things that we, we try to make sure that they're picking up. Because, I mean, society is even different, you know, and there's there's a lot more things going on and you can spend a lot more money. I really hate those monthly subscriptions, man, because they get you, you know, like what? It's nine bucks. Who cares? Nine bucks. Well, it's nine bucks every month. And then, you know, once you open that floodgate, nine bucks turns into 90 and who knows what, what's going on after that. So cut your cable, cut your cable, get rid of that. That's the first thing, right? You don't need that because it's wasting your time. You're stuck at home. You're not making money watching TV. I, don't, I haven't heard anybody say they're making money watching TV. You find me that, get that guy. If you can cut all that stuff, though, you can buy a backhoe, which does buy the happiness. You can buy a backhoe. I don't know if it buys happiness, <laughs> but it's fun. And then that would be awesome. Like you can smash stuff. The smashing stuff is not. You can't. You can't overrate smashing stuff. Do you let the kids smash stuff? Uh, I have have let the kids smash stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I think that a backhoe equals happiness. So I will you put that on a t-shirt, Mindy. And I, yeah. I bet you could sell a lot of those t-shirts. <laughs> a backhoe equals happiness. Okay. What's your address? I'll send you one. A t-shirt. <laughs> okay. It is now time for our famous four. These are the same four questions and one demand that we ask of all of our guests. Jordan. What is your favorite finance book? So I love a lot of the books that are talked about all the time. So I think Millionaire Next Door really changed my mindset a lot. Thou Shall Prosper was a great one. All the Kiyosaki, Kawasaki, however you say his stuff. Those are all great. But that's not the one I want to talk about. Here's the one I want to talk about. It's called Leadership and Self-Deception. It might not sound like a business book or a finance book. And then it's a super easy read. You're going to breeze right through it and it's not going to make you comfortable. You're going to squirm. So if you want a book that's going to make you squirm a little bit and you're going to realize that you've been doing some stuff wrong. But I think on my point is it's going to change your outlook on your, your family, your job, your kids, your marriage, all those things. There's a chance that you could affect all of those. And those are really the, that's like the underlying foundation that you're going to build your wealth on anyhow. So if you can make some adjustments to that part of your life, uh, you're going to be surprised how far you can go. Love that. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, I've not even heard of that book before. I know. Nobody ever talks about it. So I went through a real, a real tough patch, you know, four years ago. 
And then this was like a thing and it was, it opens up your mind. You're like, I never even thought about this. But uh, if you can change some of that, again, it's that, it's that internal head perspective. And I think that's really where you're going to build all of these, these monetary decisions and you're going to get the ball started rolling and everything like that is built out of your headspace. So you got to get some of that headspace cleared up. And this is, this is going to help you. You're going to like it. Ooh. Great. I'll, I'll definitely check that one out. It I'm doesn't have an author. It's written by like a Ambinger Institute or Arbringer Institute, something like that. So it, I would tell you the author's name, but it doesn't really have an author. Okay. Good. We'll check that out. Number two here. What was your biggest money mistake? So I kind of went back and forth on this one, but here's the one I'm going to talk about for sure. In 2010, so recession, we got to remember recession, working at a manufacturing shop, engineer, great job. They say, we're moving the plant down to North Carolina. I'm like, well, not moving to North Carolina. They said, there's nine months runway on this move. And I'm like, well, perfect. There's nine months. In nine months, I'll be able to find a job. Even in the recession, I'll be able to find a job, right? Engineer, be no problem. They're like, and because you've been here so long, you get a severance. And it was like six months severance. So I'm like, oh, this will be great. So I'll just roll right into this other W-2 job. I'll take my nine months severance. I'll double income, you know, myself for nine, you know, whatever, six months, whatever it was. And this will just be fabulous, right? And that's exactly how it played out, which just sounds like super boring, right? But here's the thing. Like if I had been a little bit aware, they were going to pay me for six months to do something else, right? Which is what they did. They paid me to go work at a different place for six months. They could have paid me to actually start something. And I didn't use that as an opportunity to really kick my own self in the butt. But I could have rolled, probably at that time, it would have been more of a construction company or something like that. But if you had a a six-month head start where you're getting your full old paycheck for six months, that really is going to transition you well into that next thing. So I do think about that one probably. I mean, again, it it didn't cost me money. But that was one of those things like you don't get a chance like that. Like I've never had another shot where somebody pays me for six months to do nothing. That, so. That's the best mistake I've heard on all of the money. <laughs> I, I didn't want it to sound like no, that. It, it that's the best mistake. That I, I really, I mean, it's just, it just sucks that you don't think about it in the right, in the right sense. I thought I was doing the safe thing. I thought I was being responsible or whatever, but that might not have been the best thing to do. And we know tons of builders got ate up in the recession. So again, if you could have called people back, you could have started a company in 2010, probably. That's all it takes. I love it. Hey, six months, huge opportunity, and I missed it. And I, like, well, like, I think that's just great perspective that we don't get very often from folks about, hey, I, I missed a very a, a shot, an opportunity that I could have taken right here that might have been that might have played out. Got me to my goals much faster. Yeah, I know they talk about engineering your layoff to do those things like that. There's that that book, right, or the one one of those guys. I don't remember who it was, but he wants you to he wants you to like set it up where they lay you off and give you this severance so you can go do your next thing. And I had it, and it was all laid out, and I just I didn't even think about it. So that is Sam from Financial Samurai who has that engineering your layoff. He engineers his own layoff, and that's great. But you also need to look at well, okay, so I got double salary for six months. And who knows, I'm sure you're awesome at building, but who knows that you would have been able to make this? No, 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 totally. I, I used that six months. I actually bought a house and it was horrible and I fixed it and I still have the house and it's beautiful. And so, I mean, that's what I did with it instead. But it's one of those things like if I had to go back and I did that 10 times over again and you got me 10 more chances, I'd probably try the other thing 10 times straight. What is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out? So... My best piece of advice is right along those lines that we talked about a little bit earlier, but 
there's this interview question. I've done a lot of a technical interviewing, which technical interviewing is you see the resume, the resume is going to work, but then you got to figure out what this actual person is and if they're going to mesh with your culture and things like that. So one of the questions I always ask in my technical interviews is uh, I ask them how they would rate themselves on a scale of one to 10. How would you rate yourself? Scott, how would you rate yourself overall life relationships, work finances? How would you rate yourself right now? Oh man. Maybe like a, 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 a seven, six or seven, six, seven, seven, eight, six, seven, eight. Those are the answers I always get. Yeah. So I get a ton of sixes and sevens and eights, but now I say, I didn't care what their answer was before. I don't tell them that they stress about the number so bad. They, cause they don't want to sound too good and they don't want to sound too bad. So they stress <laughs> about it, but I didn't even care what they're going to say. As long as they don't say 10, that was the only thing I don't, I don't want them to say 10. Right. So giving away my interview questions now too. But then I say, what are you going to do a year from now? What are you going to change in your life so you can come back a year from now and tell me instead of being a six or a seven, you're a seven or an eight. What are the things that you're going to do? And then I I sit there and I listen. What I'm trying to pick up is, are they able to identify some weakness in themselves, something that they're causing or a way that they're looking at an opportunity as a roadblock or whatever? And are they going to be able to turn that into something else? What What I hate hearing is, I need to get a job where I make more or my boss sucks or something like that. Like, don't ever tell somebody in an interview your boss sucks. Don't ever tell a landlord when you're looking at a new place that your landlord is sucks. Don't ever say any of that stuff because like, you know. Preach. That's very totally. good advice. That's, happened that, to that's one of the things. Like, <laughs> let's eliminate these obstacles, identify it in yourself, and let's make a change because you can make these changes. And I'd love to be part of the one helping you make them or somebody else going to help you. But if you can identify that in yourself, you are prepared to actually to go out there and nail this. No, I, I love it. I actually, um, you know, just to share a little tangent here. Every year I have this little journal that I work in and I basically like rank myself and, Hey, how's my fitness? How's my, uh, bus- my profession, my business going? How's my personal financial situation going? How's my relationship going? How are, how are my, uh, how's my lifestyle how am I liking that? How's my spirituality? How's my mental segment? And there's probably one more that I'm forgetting. But, and then I rank myself on those and I say, okay, where's my biggest weakness? And that frames my goals for the, for the following year, kind of along these same lines. So I think it's, I think it's like a, a very good exercise. And for a while it's finance, but then, you know, after you probably reach some of your financial goals, then it, the weaknesses in your other areas really becomes glaring and you go after that. that. That brings up one more thing. You guys can put it here or you can stick it somewhere else. In the first year that, that we were semi-retired or whatever, uh, between my wife and I, we really kind of did a health focus and we changed a little bit of the structure of how we were, we were living our lives on that side. Because when you're just going and going and going, it's so easy to, like, I deserve this or that, or I want a whole cake, not just a piece of cake. I'm going to get a whole cake. <laughs> Things like that. So uh, we actually lost a ton of weight. Between the two of us, I think we lost like 90 pounds. Oh my God. And that, that was pretty awesome. So Go you, you. you had gotten... Yeah, we had gotten a little bit lax on looking at that, and that wasn't something we had even considered. So that's another opportunity. Quit your job, go down part-time, and then lose some weight. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so now that you're retired, you attend a lot more parties because you have Wednesday, Friday, Thursday, Friday, 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 Saturday, and Sunday, right? No, no, no. no. I'm an engineer, <laughs> so no parties. I don't have to go to any parties. And even <laughs> you don't have to go to now because what are they going to do? Oh. We're breaking stereotypes here. Now you're a party animal. Well, when no, you do go no. to these parties, you know, what, what kind of jokes do you tell? Do you have a joke, your favorite joke you tell at parties? Uh, so I do have a joke and it's pretty good, but I also have a landlord story. I don't know if I can say a landlord story in my joke section. or Let's if do I should both. Just use it. Okay. So here's the joke. We'll get that one first. How can you tell if you're talking to an extroverted engineer? Because you're talking to them. I don't no, know. No, no. 
they look at your shoes instead of their own. <laughs> it's true. It really is true. All right, so what's the landlord story? So that's my joke. My landlord story, this is my best landlord story. I do tell this one a lot. So I got a house. There's a lady living there, a young lady. Um, she says, can she have a roommate move in? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we'll work it out. This is before I knew you probably should get your lease changed when you let a roommate move in and all those kind of things. Maybe there was a party or two or, or a few. Uh, it had clay tile for the drain. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with clay tile. The thing that happens with clay tile is it gets little little holes in it. Then the roots get in and, root, you know, yada, yada, yada. So this was a house that had that problem. We would get it rooted out every once in a while. It wasn't that big of a deal. I already know where this story's going. They had a party. Uh, yeah, this is a, I don't know what the term that I'm supposed to use for the family show, right? So <laughs> they call me up, say, Todd's not flushing. Okay. So I do all my own calls at this point. You know, I'm, I show up there, get it out, start roto rooting, pull it out. There's, um, I don't know what I'm supposed to say here. A condom, you know, you get a condom. That's a word. Yeah, that's a word. Send it back in. I get like five more. Send it back in. I get a lot more than five. I have like a five gallon bucket and there's a ton of them in here. I have no idea. Like what, what am I supposed to say now? Cause the, you know, two younger ladies and I don't want to say anything exactly. So in my very <laughs> passive, my best passive uh, landlord way, I left the bucket there, you know, <laughs> I left it there for like three days and then came back a few days later to pick it up. And I'm like, I think that they'll get the message about, cause I, I didn't know how to have that conversation. And maybe that makes me a, a bad landlord or whatever, but I wasn't quite sure how to deal with that. But very honestly, I left the bucket, came back a few days later and picked it up. Didn't have any more problems related to uh, those kind of things. So. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. Only flush human waste and toilet paper down a toilet. I did. Eventually we dug it up. We got the PVC put in. So it, it's great now, whoever the prospective tenant will be next. So don't worry. <laughs> Yuck. Yes. Uh, that sounds oh like gosh. I'm listening to your story and I'm like, that's me. That's my life. That's my husband. That's my experiences. Those people are the people, the, the ladies that had the party, they live down the street from me. I have a house down the street from me and they have adult parties where people mm-hmm. can come over and ha- do adult things together. Yeah. <laughs> maybe this maybe it happened over a, a period of time too. I don't know. You know how to, I didn't ask. That was for sure. So didn't they're not joining any of these religious co-ops for healthcare. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. Don't, uh, don't. <sighs> well, that was a delightful story. Um, that <laughs> was not a, good joke, but a good story. Yeah. That, <laughs> Okay, Jordan Clint, where can people find out more about you? I'm on Facebook with my wife, Leah Jordan Clint. I'm also on Facebook. I got a, I don't know, a different page or whatever that I post some of my musings and interesting stuff. That's called, it's not just about me and my dream of doing nothing, which if you get the reference points for you, uh, but find me there. Probably Facebook is the best way. Uh, on LinkedIn too, you'll see the giant red beard. You try to track me down there. Awesome. We will link to all of these in the show notes for this show can be found at biggerpockets.com slash money show 63. Jordan, this was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for sharing that you can in fact have financial independence with children, with more than one children, with five children, which is, as you said in your interview or your pre-interview, more than some people have. <laughs> 
More than zero, yeah. More than five zero. More yeah, than zero. that's a more than zero. That's a lot more than zero. It's five more than zero. <laughs> learning learning uh, grade school math as my children are going through grade school math. I do not remember any of the sixth grade math that my sixth graders is going through right now. But that's another story for another time. Okay, Jordan, thank you so much for taking time out of your vacation to chat with us today. I really appreciate it. It was yeah, a pleasure. You. Okay, we will talk to you again soon. All right. That was Jordan Clint. Mindy, what'd you think? I love his story. I love that he didn't listen to conventional wisdom. Again, I said conventional wisdom. There is no conventional wisdom when it comes to financial independence, but I love that he didn't listen to other people. He's like, you know what? I don't want to work there anymore. So I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to have five kids and I'm going to be retired. And real estate plays a big part in his life because real estate is kind of a really great way to reach financial independence. Yeah, I also loved how you know he's a bit competitive. He didn't like that uh, someone got promoted ahead of him at work, and he was like, "Well, I'm going to use that as fuel to go leapfrog right into financial independence." I thought it was great that he started out the entire process without having a game plan handed to him. You know, I had a game plan handed to me. I had the fortune of reading Mr. Money Mustache and learning from Brandon Turner about the house hacking strategy right out the gate for my career to kind of accelerate towards this. He didn't have those things and he still was able to kind of go about this in a really intelligent way and build a, build a financial foundation for himself just by figuring it out. And you know why? Because he had a plan and this whole thing is not that hard. He had a goal, right? He, he had, had a goal. A goal. And, then, and then that plan shaped together over the course of years, right? You know, for four, five, six, seven years. Yes. He had a goal. He devised a plan to reach his goal. He got there eight years early and with five kids. And I don't think that we stressed enough during the show that he had five kids. He has five kids and that's five mouths to feed. That's seven mouths to feed because he's got a wife too, plus him. And this is just, it's a doable thing. You have to make a plan. What does your life look like? What do you want your life to look like? And then uh, what form your finances to help you reach that goal. It's not rocket science. I also like how well, he was pretty humble about it in, in some cases as well, where he was like, yeah, I don't know if I've won or not. He's won. He's won. He's won. Yes. Yeah. You win life when you get to retire when you're 34 with five kids. Yeah. I've got a friend who brags about his finances all the time. He'll tell me my credit card company calls me almost every day to tell me that my balance is outstanding. <laughs> That's horrible, Scott. <laughs> hey, that, uh, the, the blame for that joke could fall on Garrett, who sent me that joke. Uh, Garrett's a listener from uh, Woodbridge, Illinois. Garrett, that's a terrible joke. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting to use that one, so I don't know. I had to force it there. But I thought it was, I thought it was great. I, I chuckled. Well, I'm glad you chuckled. That makes one of us. No, actually, I did laugh. That was kind of funny. Okay. I was just kidding, Garrett. That's a lovely joke. Thank you for sharing with us. Um, okay, Scott, should we get out of here? Let's do it. From episode 63 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, this is Mindy Jensen and Scott Trench saying sayonara. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. 
You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.